Hello and welcome to Contemporary Cage, an expert and informed look at the latter half of actor Nicolas Cage's filmography. On today's episode, we're watching the 2004 film National Treasure. Cages movies. Welcome. Nicholas's Cages movies. We're here once again. D-Man. It's really good to see you. Uh times are grim. Um times but are you know grim. it always uh, it's always uh lifts my spirits to sit down with you and talk about the cage man. Hey. <sighs> if you know, we're all living in the same, you know, crazy rock with this cage guy. <laughs> And the, all we can do is talk about him to stay sane. It's true. We all need to do it. Um, and listeners, uh, we we won't dwell too long because I feel like I've been listening to a lot of content that is like overly like focused, and it's like mm. I'm looking for an escape. Hashtag you know? Corona, so more like hashtag escape. I agree. Yeah, I will but, say. Uh, I will say. If we're, we wish you well, yeah, we hope that you're all doing well. Uh, that hope that you're healthy and, and and secure and safe um but yeah what did you want to say well D-Man? yeah i mean i hope I, dave i hope that about people even when there isn't a pandemic so i don't know that's funny because i was the one who said it so <laughs> well it seemed like it could have you could have said that. if we're going to leave the uh the horizon of corona talk i just want to say um i watched a movie uh this weekend um and i wanted to bring it up for a couple of reasons one uh, I'm turning into Trump over here. One, <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful movie. It's the Absolutely. best. Nobody, Dave. Nobody loves movies as much as me. Okay. They don't make movies like they used to. What was the movie? He he, he did do that. He literally. It's so funny because we're literally doing a bit about Trump, but he said. He was talking about like some movie that was made in like the fifties, and he's like, "They don't make movies like this anymore." Uh, but uh, yeah, no, whatever. Sorry, what? What's so, the movie that you? I watched. <laughs> I watched the Lighthouse, uh, which oh, is oh great, yes, four by three, black and white, Lovecraftian horror with um, with a fa- uh, a friend of the show starring uh, the Green Goblin. Um, yes, he's you know Mr. Dog Eat Dog himself. Um, yes, I wanted to. Br- Willem Dafoe. I wanted to bring it up because one, we talked about Color Out of Space. It came up before. Yeah, well, Color Out of Space. A big yeah. part of that okay. is the fact that it's a Lovecraftian movie, right? And I had yes. kind of expressed that I'm a Lovecraft fan, and that like really this isn't what Lovecraft's writing is evocative of, like this type of movie. If there is something that is pretty much as close to the way Lovecraft is actually meant to be kind of like uh, the way it reads and the way it kind of like lives on the page. It's probably this movie Lighthouse. So this would be a shining example of one, a movie that really encompasses the the horror and psychological like insanity of Lovecraft. But also number two, a movie that I might not known enough about and realized I probably shouldn't have watched on a Sunday night during the third week of my quarantine where I'm about to go fucking crazy already. And it fucked me 
right up. I couldn't sleep all <laughs> night. I woke up like at three in the morning until like five. Oh, it was brutal. So I'll say, uh, I don't recommend that you watch it right now during quarantine if you're not feeling uh, psychologically healthy at all. But I yeah. do recommend that you watch the film. Very, very good. Just not a great time for me to have dug myself deep into its claws. Uh, and that's, Derek, that's all I'll say. Staring at his fiance. <laughs> You're fond of me lobster, ain't ya? <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, it's a, a great movie. We, yeah, we talked about it on uh, before uh, on the show. I, I shared the anecdote where my dad was laughing oh, yeah. very, very hard about the, the farting in, in that movie um but yeah i know i'm glad that you watched it um but uh very sorry that you watched it right now there have <laughs> yeah. been there have been a lot of uh oh god I, I i i hate talking about like memes and internet stuff it, like but there have been a lot of good uh the lighthouse sort of coronavirus memes sort of the blend of those now, two things why i okay i lived in la for a while um, before I moved back mm-hmm. to the Bay. That's where you're at now, Dave. Holly weird, as they call it. Yeah. Um, why here. Why do you... Because I noticed I went to uh, like social mixers, as you do, in that Tinseltown, and a lot of people have this like... It's like um, taboo to bring up memes or internet culture mm. in like talking to each other, and I'm hearing this echoed by you. And I don't know if it is an LA thing, but what is the big problem with... Like, why do you hate talking about memes and internet? I, I don't. I like. I like talking about the internet. I'll always talk about the internet, but I feel like there there is something that's sort of um, it, it's in the same way that I never was like a huge reference guy. Like I, mm. I, I just made a reference to the lighthouse where I did a <laughs> "You're fond of me, lobster" joke. Yeah. This is breaking down immediately, but I never. I was always, this is like getting very deep into like my comedic sensibility, but I always thought that like references as like a thing was kind of lazy yeah. and lame and yeah. like you end up leaning on just like quoting something. I always thought that that was inc- insanely lame. And I think that like describing a meme is kind of the same way, but I, but I also, I don't know. I well, think keep in mind, I'm just being uh, too social interactions aren't a snob. performance. David so you you can reference things and it's not lazy you know it's it's just uh it's just that's you true. talking oh, about God, things you enjoy <laughs> that's a really good thing for me to hear <laughs> <laughs> um, freaking psycho <laughs> um yeah that that is true but I, yeah I don't know I think it also is like a generational thing I feel yeah. like I'm a, a little old for it maybe oh, to be like, I don't oh, know about this. that me and my fiance actually look at memes at night before we go to bed. It's like the funny papers for our generation. <laughs> and there's some good ones. But <laughs> I, fun. it's very much, it's the kind of thing where it's like, if someone's in the know and likes memes or whatever, you reference. But if someone has no, like, you just got to read the room with it. Like, it can be so out of place and kind of, like, alienating if you start bringing up that kind of, like, uh, inside internet humor and stuff into, like, a room. For sure. You know? But... I digress. Yeah. This is a Nicolas Cage podcast. This guy has nothing to do with memes, as we all know. So let's <laughs> oh cut the God. crap. It's true. Well, I, I think that's a perfect example. I think that, like, so, that, of course, there is stuff that is, like, brilliant and so, so, like, uh, and so, like, savvy and, like, so thoughtfully, po- like, and about memes? That, that happens in memes. Yeah, totally. Oh. I think that, like, as a medium, people can use it in ways that is, like, oh, this is legitimately so, so funny. 
Um, but then I also think that there is like the side of it that the thing is, it's a medium, right? And it's this full spectrum of like the cringiest, like worst, you know, like Facebook boomer stuff that you see um all the way to like really really insightful like hyper specific like a lighthouse coronavirus meme where it's like oh that's so specific and like so niche that it it works for me um but i think that like the broad strokes of it like are still sort of like oh and, and exactly like the way that Nicolas Cage is memed in in society is very off-putting to me I'm yes. like this is very like it diminishes a great man. Well, I'm not, I'm not here. Yes. For it. And that was, you know, that's what I, that's what grabbed me when you, when you came knocking on my door and said, Hey Derek, I got a little idea for you. I got a little commitment for the rest of your life mm-hmm. that you'd I'd like to introduce you to. And <laughs> for the rest of your life, <laughs> I didn't know how I felt about it, but your reasoning of like, I didn't really care too much about Nicolas Cage. I didn't, I wasn't really a fan. I wasn't really interested in the memeness of it, but, the way you thought were so thoughtful about the like zeitgeist of him being in this like weird momentum of uh, simplified thought of like him as like a punchline was very interesting to me, and I and I that's what made me want to dive deeper. And, and now, and now, Dave, I've and now dug too we deep. Are, yeah, that was after that perfect distillation of what we're trying to do on the show. Um, yeah. We're going to debut a new segment Ooh. that is fully dedicated to like better understanding. We're, we're we're all about the contemporary here on Contemporary Cage, mm-hmm. but to understand someone's present, yeah, we've got to look back. We've got to look back in time, and that's why. Uh, oh my God, Derek. Yeah. Do you have a scroll that was just brought into? Do you have a scroll in front of you right now? It is. It's got so much oh, dust. Have, <coughs> oh my god. Oh my god, guys! It's time. It's time for history uncaged with Benjamin Gates. Oh boy. Oh, and Derek and I both had these uh, scrolls. I don't. Who knows when these showed up? But we have these scrolls. Uh, okay, and this is a new segment. I'm going to read from this uh, scroll. Uh, apparently. uh, History Uncaged with Benjamin Gates is a new segment we're going to be doing here. Let me unfurl this. Yeah, it's long. This is like a CVS receipt long uh, scroll. Okay. All right. Um, But yes, Uncaging History with Benjamin Gates. uh, Apparently, we're going to go look back and then chronologically cover significant years or stretches of time uh, in Nick's life and Nick's past. And uh, it looks like 1986 is the first year we're going to be covering. All 1986. Right. How he would have been in his 20s. Um, I think like his early 20s still. How 20s. how uh, how old were you, Mister? I'm too old for memes in 1986. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was uh, negative four years old. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we. Uh, I think that. Uh, it looks like a busy year for Nick. Sort of a, one of his first big years on the map. He he put out two movies. These were his first two starring roles this year. Uh, the Boy in Blue, mm-hmm. which is uh, based on the life of Ned ha- Hanlon, who is a late 19th century Canadian scholar, which is like a, a rower, like someone who rows oh. in a boat. In uh, world champ- champion, Hanlon was one of the first scholars to successfully utilize the sliding seat. So Nick <laughs> really brought something to that role. 
And then more importantly, we've got Peggy Sue Got Married, which was uh, directed by Nick's uncle, uh, Francis Ford Coppola, mm-hmm. and was starring Nick and Kathleen Turner. Um, and uh, and uh, if you I, do you know anything about Peggy Sue uh, no. Got Married? Zero. So Peggy. It's um it is a movie about um a woman who goes to her 10-year high school um reunion and she has some sort of like a back to the futuresque situation where she's transported back into her high school body in like the final week of senior year or something like that. Okay. And uh and Nick plays um her like high school sweetheart who she eventually like marries and then gets divorced from and uh i think that we are going to it looks like there's a there's a link on this scroll really (laughs) yeah so we are going to watch a clip from uh the classic review show siskel and ebert where uh gene siskel we're going to hear a little bit of uh, and I'm, I'm reading this. This is a description of the link. Uh, we're going to hear a little bit of Nick <laughs> and Kathleen Turner, and then we're going to hear uh, Siskel's response to it. So if we want to click that link, that um, My Movie 11, the second one I sent you. Okay. So we'll watch this, and then I'll, and then we'll jump back in together. The darker center of the movie is her relationship with a young man who will become her husband. A marriage she knows will end in divorce. Still, she likes the guy a lot. Let's make love. What? You mean sex? (laughs) Intercourse. You want to have intercourse? Last weekend, you said... What time is it? Holy cow. It's late. Real late. Come on! What is this? What the hell is going on, Peggy Sue? One week you say if you love me, you won't. The next week you say if you love me, you will. That's a guy's line. That's the first time I think in history where a guy wanted his car to start on a date. That was Nicolas Cage as her boyfriend, and I can't say enough about his performance. He's just not a macho guy. He's a guy who's all confused and adolescent, just the way all adolescents are. And of course, how can you complain? Um, okay, so Derek, we we just, uh, listeners, you just heard the audio that Derek and I uh, just heard. Um and just to provide a little bit of context before we get into this, Francis Ford Coppola, who, again, is Nick's uncle, almost fired him for his voice in the movie. Nick really, really was inspired by Pokey, the the horse from Gumby, and was Ugh. absolutely committed Why? <laughs> to bringing Pokey. And so he has this, like, really high-pitched sort of, like, uh, <laughs> intercourse. Uh. Yeah, no, we heard it, Dave. We, bu- we all it's just so... heard it. But it's such, it's exactly what I love about Nick. His, like, his dedication to, like, um, sort of, like, bucking the conventions of realism and going with more expressionistic performances, I think it, it like, it does give this, like, interesting um, sort of, like, like harsh, in, like, harsh interpretation or expression of, 
like a high school boy of sort of like a like a ugh, like high strung uh like high school boy yeah if you're making <laughs> twin fucking peaks dave this is so weird why would pokey be an appropriate inspiration for any type of role that has to do with like a realistic high school student like and i don't understand when it's like i'm confused by his uh, uh vocalization because when he says uh <laughs> when he says uh, intercourse <laughs> it i don't know whether or not he's nervous and being goofy or if he's like saying uh intercourse like he's thinking about how angry he is now that she's bringing it back up again it's so hard to grasp it's so it's i don't know how she acts across that and coppola should have fired yeah. him no, it's so good. I'm so glad the I I hope that at one point we can watch this movie because the entire perf- his entire performance is that, and it's it's so obvious that a lot of it is uh, improvised as well. And he it's just, it's a wild performance that like really kind of stands out uh, of yeah. an otherwise like exactly. It feels like sort it's sort of sweet. It's film. been like put in the scene from something else, and like the. Dave, I'm having a hard time because he hadn't even really done much yet. So he's like coming in no. hot. Like like totally. I'm not making allowances to like do what should be done or what the director wants me to do. I, a rookie actor, am going to just derail this fucking scene with a pokey inspiration that I will refuse to budge on. Oh I God. absolutely love it. I can't believe that he did it. It's so insane. It's such a wild thing. Like truly like imagine just the amount of like sheer confidence and belief in your own like artistic expression. It's almost like, Warhol. Only. You're right. Yeah, but it, it it's so strange cuz it's like he he knows who Francis Ford Coppola is. He knows the like cachet that he has at this point in his career. This is 1986. He he's he he is a very very he's probably one of the most celebrated uh, directors of the time. Um, he knows that he's probably in this movie, like largely due to nepotism. For him to still be like, I'm going to like. I, I, I get this amazing shot that a lot of people wouldn't get access to. I'm not just going to, like, turn in a standard, boring, sort of, like, pretty boy performance. I'm going to do a cartoon voice is in it, one of, like, my first big jobs. Is it, like, it's, it's it. constantly, uh, like, it's almost like a DNA helix of it's a simple, stupid decision that's ill-advised and youthful, or it's, like extremely bold and artistic and it's like those two ideas are intertwined forever in this shit and like i this is why the game of like what's true and what's not true about Nicolas cage that i play on this show is so difficult because this you cannot it's like there's a machine that can like create these circumstances that are like somehow interconnected in their in in their your inability to like ever predict how he would do something or what he does with his life or or how he thinks it's such an uh, enigma i couldn't agree more i think that our next clip is actually going to and and i do want to say cisco as you heard really really impressed by him roger ebert as well uh really liked the movie neither of them talk about the voice that no, he's doing no they act like it's normal um, 
they yeah they, which is so funny because it's like it, it kind of gets into that thing of like if we weren't viewing it through this specific lens you might just be like oh that's like a weird choice so that's like a weird direction but there's certain things in movies like choices like that that you kind of can just accept um but like going in it's like glaring it feels like yes um i, I don't yeah yeah glaring is uh, a good way yeah <laughs> But yeah, I, I'm very pro pokey. And then he he kind of gets into it. This is this next clip is a Dick Cavett interview. This is Nick's first TV ap- appearance. He hadn't done any TV prior to this, uh, and he goes on to the Dick Cavett show. This is 1986, and he's there to promote uh, Peggy Sue um, got married. So let's watch that next. Here is a fine artiste, Nicholas Cage. <laughs> I'm sure, everybody and his dog has thought of this joke. Do you have any regrets about losing two teeth in the line of work? Two teeth. You I've never asked a guest that. I... Well, I, uh, to tell you the truth, I didn't lose my teeth. I, I had to do that. They were baby teeth, and I, uh, oh, it was I'm an orthodontical it... thing. I'm not a masochistic uh, actor, as it were. I'm so relieved or, to hear that. Because... So quickly, we do want to say, this is from the mouth of Cage. We've talked about him pulling a tooth uh, for Birdie to get to learn more about. That was in a Cage fact at one point. Oh. And here, he kind of dispels it. He's saying, oh, they needed to be removed. He doesn't address whether or not he did it, but he does say they needed to be removed for an orthodontia um, procedure. So we, we kind of can set the record straight. All right, let's continue on with watching this. What I do when I want to get into a character is I go to Toys R Us and uh, I get a shopping cart. Seriously? Uh, yeah, I'm being serious. And I shut my eyes and I just I pluck toys off the, the, the shelves. And when I get home, I just I play with them. It's uh, creative building blocks. About a thing you do called future acting or over the edge or something like well, that. And I, maybe I've been reading too many right. interviews. Uh, well, I mean, I, I don't know future acting. I just I feel like we're, we're going into the 90s now. And uh, I just think that we're going to see some new things in uh, in acting it's uh you know i go to a museum and i see a picasso and i think you know why is it that he can get away with uh, drawing his wife with spikes coming out of her head or or having her mouth touch the floor i envy him i said well why can't i do that yeah. and i think that uh, to an extent we might we there might be things like that in the future and surrealism and such but you don't do grotesquely unreal no no i just don't think there really is such a thing as an edge I think that in art, there's, there's uh, no right or wrong, and uh, just to keep an open mind and do whatever's creative expression. Did you fall in love with... <clears throat> Often they talk about your nose and your strange looks and my your... My nose and my strange looks. Your young Mitchum-like looks really? and things. Uh, do you, I see a problem there. What do you see? Well, she's attracted to you, right? Right. Um, how, uh, you seem like a lout. A lout. A lout, yes. Now, I'd think the acting problem in that part would be we have to see what makes you attractive to well, her. Well, I mean, well, see... Uh, have I offended she, you on your no, first TV no, appearance? You no, know, you've just said that I have a big nose and that I'm no. a lout and I'm the arid extra dry. I tell everybody this. Uh, no, I, I... <laughs> okay. Wow. So there we go, the Dick Cavett interview. Uh, sort of two things that we want to address there, Derek, I think, and you might have more, but the, the two central conversations. Nick kind of gets into uh, a little bit of his theorizing about why he's drawn to expressionistic acting, mm-hmm. which I think was a, a really 
I think like a really revealing and he's clearly articulate and has put a lot of time into uh, thinking about why he's attempting to like give turn in these specific expressionistic uh, performances. Uh, and then also like Dick is being a dick. He's being yeah. mean. <laughs> he's kind of being mean to Nick. Well, well, which I'm not about. well, first of all, it seems like his expressionistic acting is like coming from like kind of a low thought process of looking at abstract art and being jealous or mad that he can't do whatever he wants like Picasso did. And two, the the thing that Dick says about Nick is a criticism that we have about him as a leading man all the time, about how sometimes it's just accepted that he is attractive to these actors in like roles of like like the love interest and Dick said there should be something from like a storytelling standpoint that points to why someone would be attracted to Nick um, because it's not like he looks like Jake Gyllenhaal. He's not ugly, but I mean, it, there sometimes there needs to be a reason why someone would find you so attractive. But here's, here's okay, I've got, I, I feel like the specific context for his performance in Peggy Sue Got Married is this is a woman who is now in her 30s who was in love with this man and had then divorced him. Mm. Him taking an expressionistic approach to a character of a 30-year-old woman looking at her high school sweetheart and mm. being like, this guy is like a weird, like uh, unhinged, like horny dork. I think it's like a perfect application. I feel, I feel like it's really, really thoughtful that he would do this sort of like jittery, like, uh, you know, almost like falsetto register, um, like weird, um, like pretty boy, high school pretty boy. I think it's like, it's not supposed to be a high school dreamboat. It's supposed to be like the horror of like someone who is like going back, you know, if you have like if you ever have any, uh, if you've done the thought exercise of like, oh, what if I could go back into high school? What would I be like? I, I think like you would go around and talk to the people you used to hang out with and be like, oh, I don't, I have so little in common with you now. I think there is something in his choice to like have um, that sort of like this alienating performance for her where it can show like the fact that she is so much more mature now he's, and he has sort of like remained uh, as this as this like that you know, choice still a teenage boy. that choice while it does make sense and i agree like um i have a memory of being in third grade and then like walking by the fifth grade classroom and seeing all the fifth graders and they were like joking around and stuff and i just thought they looked like adults you know like I, they were just like yeah, 2 years older 100%. than me in grade school and then you go back you know, as an adult and fifth graders are very, very, very much children. Um, but like <laughs> making that choice and th thrusting it upon the actors, he's playing the role of the director, not of the actor in that situation. Like it makes sense that her seeing after living a whole life as an adult woman and then going back to a previous relationship with like a teenager that they could seem so much more adolescent. And like you're saying, but that's not necessarily his choice to make in terms of how the movie, what the movie is, you know, but he makes it but hard. But it's the right choice. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it was so, it's so good because it, I, I will say it is like, it feels dissonant, but I, I mean, I don't know. I, I like buy, I, I buy into it, but it, you know, knowing it, it is insane. It's an insane yeah. choice to 
for your fucking uncle, who is one of the most famous directors in the world, to give you a huge shot. It's maybe for you to the just only be director. Like, no, I'm not gonna listen. The only director that, even though he was gonna fire him, like the only director that didn't end up firing him because he was like his uncle. Whereas another director might just say no you're fired like a little bit faster but like he mm-hmm. said there is no line uh with art right so yeah um he if you're gonna make a debut and be an actor in a world full of actors and, and people vying for fame this is definitely uh a more memorable or bold way to do it so you know you gotta give him props for that um and then the other thing, I, I, he he's talking about getting into a role, and one of the things that he does getting into a role, I had never heard this anecdote. Oh, the, he says the he toys? He goes to Toys R Us yeah. and takes a shopping cart, closes his eyes, fills his shopping cart with toys, and then just plays with them. Yeah. And that's how he Well, you know, <laughs> he gets closing your role. eyes and putting stuff in a shopping cart, like... You're going to go to an aisle so that you're not closing your eyes and trying to find where the aisles are. So, you know, he's going to park it near the toys that he wants before he closes his eyes, Dave. And that way he gets all the Ninja Turtles and stuff in there. So but I think it, that so that there because there, I think that there is there's absolutely something that's true to you saying that this is a young guy who's clearly trying to emulate some sort of like incredibly avant-garde artistic prowess because there's the explanation of like looking at Picasso and being like, I want to try the, to be Picasso. Why can't uh, I do that? Film. Yeah. But then there's him saying like, one of the ways that I do it is shop is shopping, which is kind of like an infantile uh, thing. I think it is creative and interesting, but obviously not, an exercise that he probably continued it's probably something he did once and then it's like oh this is like an anecdote and like knowing that he grew up in you know a family of filmmakers you know i'm sure that francis ford coppola shared stories about like you know i was working with uh you know brando on uh on apocalypse now and he he kept like improvising these lines and these lines and it ended up being perfect so he has these like internalized anecdotes i'm sure of times when actors made decisions against that of which mm-hmm. their director was telling them to do and he thinks that's like glorified and romantic. yeah exactly, exactly and it ended up creating this fucking insane kid because you would you go and you mix a that up Coppola. you mix that with the psychology of family dynamics and trying to like impress and like or please uh you know older male members of your family as a young boy and like mix that all up with these weird hollywood stories and and like and just throw them in front of a camera (laughs) it's so crazy but i feel like this is it's so revealing about who he became and like what he set out to do as an actor i think it's so interesting and it makes it it definitely Um, i agree dave this dusty scroll while it does not focus on the contemporary works of Cage, it does get give new context and light and understanding to contemporary Cage performance and who he became. It's 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 a true gift to be diving. Thank you, Scroll Giver, for these. Yes, thank you, Benjamin. Benjamin Gates. I'm gonna steal the. De- Wait, hold on. Let me do it. Okay. <clears throat> I'm gonna steal the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> You sound like Is a teen- you sound like a teenager who's like bored. <laughs> I sounded like Jigsaw from <laughs> fucking Saw. 
Um, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. I'll just end up doing Riley, an impression of Riley. But uh, Derek, th- yeah. so that is that is uh, History Uncaged with Benjamin Gates, mm-hmm. a new segment that we're going to be doing, um, uh, learning a little bit more about Cage Man. I appreciate. It. I think that was that was a that was a great conversation. I feel like I know him a little Dude, better now. Don't. Uh, Pat yourself on your back about how great your conversations are. That's really unbecoming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just in the middle of a, a podcast. This, this podcast is good. <laughs> um, but Derek, yes. now that we did that segment, you have a little segment. Surprise segment, but now do. Oh. peek behind the curtain. You already know that there's a surprise segment. So big I surprise. Know, yeah. Listen, this might be a lot of people's first. Um, oh. I get my own segment for the first time, Dave. Cracking open a white claw. Ugh, there ain't no laws when you're in the claws. <laughs> my cousin said that. Shout out to JP. Uh, hello, white white claw media department. I've got a new ad for you. <laughs> okay. This episode might be a lot of people's first episode because National Treasure is like, when people think of Contemporary Cage, they, they kind of think of National Treasure. It's a... It's a, it's a crowd pleaser one, and um, I uh, just this people have gotten to know me and you over many episodes, but um, I just uh, I just I just felt strongly about something that's going on in my life right now um, because I'm a kind of a flavor of the week guy. I get really into something for for a couple of weeks, and then I move on to something else. And um, I think I've mentioned on. Um, one of the past episodes that I've been watching, uh, the Harry Potter series, uh, do the quarantine. Um, and I, uh, been kind of going down that nostalgic road, watching all the movies. I started reading the books again. Um, I'm, I'm reading Goblet of Fire. Deep in it. Yeah. Deep in the, like the Harry Potter. What house are you, Derek? Uh, Ravenclaw. I thought I was a Slytherin for a while. I think I'm a cool bad boy, but yeah, David, we all know you're Hufflepuff. Um, I'm awful buff. You guys could have guessed it, I bet. <laughs> but so, you know, here's the thing. I had talked maybe a little bit in the past about doing a segment where we recast popular movies with Nicolas oh, Cage wow. in mind. Now, <gasps> now, I have cast Nick Cage in the new Harry Potter remake. But before I reveal who that character is uh, in a segment I like to call Recaged. Uh, oh my god, loving this. I thought about all the characters which he could be, and it made me think, you know, who would I get to play this character or that character? So I'm going to rattle off a few of my redesigned Harry Potter characters for a 2020 <laughs> Harry Potter cast Wow! to build anticipation. Derek's fan cast of Harry Potter. So now, keep in mind, this and is... And is, is Cage one of these? Yes, Okay, yeah, good, yeah. Good, no, good. I'm, the whole thing is I'm, I'm building anticipation by revealing other okay, characters. Gotcha. And at the end, I will reveal the perfect uh, Nick Cage Harry Potter casting. And keep in mind, Beautiful. this is uh, a new movie. So it's not shot for shot, right? So some things are reimagined a little bit. Some characters uh, and the way they interact is reimagined uh, to kind of go off of things in the books that weren't necessarily represented in the movies uh, and just a different okay. take on the character. So let me give you an example. Uh, the first recast, um, Lord Voldemort. Okay, so I love what they did with Voldemort, but he was a little bit on the nose, even though he didn't have one. Uh, in that, okay, he was. And Derek, uh, <laughs> he sort of did a little fist pump there. He read that joke. 
<laughs> it's a pretty prepared joke. So I sorry, read it on going. my uh, sweaty palm with ink all over the place. So in the movies, he's very like, he looks like a snake. He's very evil. He's got nasty, yeah. you know, snake-like eyes and veins. And he's, I'm an evil monster, man. But I'm- Ralph Fiennes, I believe. I'm, and he did a gr- wonderful job. One of my favorite parts of the movie. But I'm th- saying- reimagine Voldemort more as the fallen angel, like Lucifer, like um, more of a beautiful, attractive, charismatic, evil, dark Mm. lord. And to play him, because he is a little bit older too, I would cast Viggo Mortensen uh, as kind of uh, a much more soft-spoken, and it's kind of like, it's got the Aragorn-ness to it where like the character of Aragorn, he can kind of be, gentle and uh loving and then in the next minute have just a fierce battle cry as he whips off the head really of an menacing, yeah mm-hmm. so Vigo sure. mortensen flying around interesting this is a very american and we haven't seen a lot of uh villain turns from Vigo. he does have he that usually... one movie where he's like a russian mobster and he does and he's very scary i think he's that. still like he's still the protagonist of that yeah. movie though i think so still rooting for him yeah in this uh, Very good, love it. Yes. and I, I, Vigo is uh, someone I don't see often enough. You know, no, I agree. He's yeah, he's, he's he'll take long breaks. Long, uh, unlike the Cage Man, he'll he'll go years. I feel like without uh, putting out any film until he's recast as the American Harry Potter Voldemort. Um, Beautiful. Now, on a lighter note, Hagrid. Um, I uh, now, I initially you're gonna love this. I initially thought about The Rock. <laughs> that's accurate <laughs> okay I but, do love this but and I thought we're close we're almost there it's just I think The Rock his characters are very like um, they're very like clever a lot of his characters he's always kind of got one up on somebody and Hagrid's a oh, little sure. bit more of a dullard in a lot of ways and so who yeah. is large in stature but has that friendly demeanor that plays a dullard very well Dave Batista of Guardians oh. of the Galaxy as Hagrid, big smile, huge dude, but I like very that American. both of the guys you were imagining to are absolutely jacked out of their mind. Yeah, Hagrid, like a, real, a hot Hagrid. That's actually <laughs> maybe Hagrid even better. His robes, he's got a six pack. <laughs> just like Dumbledore dies, spoilers, and he just freaking rages. Um, <laughs> We'll keep it on the light. Um, Filch, uh, pretty pretty self-explanatory. I, I'm kind of going wait, for... Wait, hold on a second. How many of these characters have you done? We have, we're getting into Filch? Filch. Oh uh, so a lot of the characters are pretty random. I don't do Harry or Hermione or any of that shit. This is just like some some like out on the on the edge characters. Filch is going to be J- okay. Jim Carrey, James Carrey. Um, wow. That's more or less aligned with the Filch as he is with the real body kind of humor and stuff. Uh, yeah. Now... Peter Pettigrew, a man who mm. has been spending most of his life as a rat, kind of a feeble man yeah. who was... I've got a suggestion for this one. Yeah. Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> wow. <laughs> another, little, another little rat. Uh, okay. I propose, I propose Andy Serkis. I think he could do the uh, half... Oh, yeah. That's a man who's good. been spending a lot of his life as a rat. And since you have him on is, the... Is Serkis not in the original Harry Potters? No. Nowhere to be seen. Oh, interesting. Nowhere to be like seen. I feel like he... Wow, and that's great. That's that's really good. And Peter Pettigrew, a great shot for him is like the the fearful, um, you know, servant to an ultimate evil, very much like Gollum, because uh, he's like Voldemort's servant. But since he's on mm. the payroll, you might as well have him do the voice of Dobby as well, um, because you know, <laughs> okay. he'll do that. Double billing, for, exactly, for circus. Um, 
Snape is Benedict Cumberbatch. Pretty self-explanatory okay, there. Okay, well, and here I will reveal, I thought Cage is Snape. Mm, but, not but, bad. But, I'm, but Cumberbatch is a great Snape. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, I could see Nick kind of maybe going Snape. I think I found someone even better, though. But before before I get to that, um, I'm thinking of reimagining the ghosts in Harry Potter. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> the ghosts? Now, listen. Now, the ghosts, uh, they don't have a big part in the movie. But I'm thinking we make them as they lean way more into comic relief, right? So nearly headless okay. Nick. He gets his like pleasure out of going up to like eleven year olds and taking off his head and like freaking them out and really traumatizing them. Mm. And we make him a lot more deadpan than the kind of hoity toity. And we get Bill Murray to be nearly headless Nick floating around Hogwarts. Okay. Okay. Sure. Yeah. And then alongside him, the Bloody Baron, kind of a uh, uh, pirate from a different century. We have Bill Hader as that ghost, mm. and the the Bills fly around together okay um that's uh, and now that's a comedic duo along with the reimagining of more comedy i think uh mr dursley harry's adoptive father uh we really lean into the uh kind of um weird almost twin peaksy nature of him being outrageous almost like uh um like a uh, uh, the Tim Burton esque expressionist, mm, and we have Mike Myers don the fat suit again, and we throw him in as oh. Mister Dursley. That's good. Okay, let me rapid fire a few more before I get to Cage. Uh, Sirius Black, Robert Downey Jr. I think could be a man tortured who loves Harry. Huh. Uh, Professor Lupin, Hugh Jackman. Let's get a little bit more of a hairy werewolf looking oh. guy. You know what I'm saying? The Wolverine yeah. himself. Uh, Russell Crowe is going to play Scrimdrawer, um, the new Minister of Magic. Oh, Scrim, Scrimmy. I want Scarlett Johansson in there. Her age is a little weird because she's not old enough to be a professor, but she's not young enough to be a student. So I would say if she was a little younger, let's 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 put her as Tonks. And then if she's a little older, mm. let's have her as Madam Hooch flying around the Quidditch field. I think she could do a good job with that. Mm, that's good. Um, Hooch. Uh, Umbridge. I think a new type of Umbridge that's a little bit more menacing could be Meryl Streep. Could do a good job as Umbridge. And now let me just. This cast is expensive. <laughs> exactly. This is like <laughs> no one. Expensive. Could this you imagine if these names were attached to a new Harry Potter remake? Who oh wouldn't see that? Yeah, especially if the Kate. I'm and I'm hearing. And we haven't assigned Harry Potter the role, so I'm assuming the cage man <laughs> is H. He is Hermione Granger. No, so here's here. Let me describe a man to you, okay? Yeah. Let me describe yeah. a man who is gruff. Um, he's a little eccentric. He's seen a lot of shit. Uh, he does bad things to to help good people. Uh, he has a heart of gold in the end, even if. People can be a little scared of him. You not really know what to expect, okay? Um, when he gives a little bit of a lecture about the unforgivable curses, he goes from manic to serious on a dime when he talks about how the Cruciatus curse and the Imperius curse could be used to, 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 to drown someone, okay? This man, mm-hmm. I, I propose, is the perfect Nicolas Cage recast in Harry Potter, and that is Alistair Mad-Eye Moody. Okay, watch oh, Mad Eye's okay. scenes in episode four, <laughs> Revenge of the Goblet, and yeah. imagine Nick Cage dancing around when when That's fun. when he turns Malfoy into a ferret and he's bouncing him up and down, and McGonagall says, "What are you doing here, Alistair?" And he says, "Wow, teaching." That is a Nick Cage moment for sure. 
That's so good. And that is so aware and considerate of where Cage is now. Contemporary like, Cage, correct. Uh, like, he could lean into there. this role as he's evolved. I think he'd do a great job. And that is re-caged. All the important characters... love that. All the important characters have been recast. Um, all the important Harry Potter characters have been um, said... Uh, you know, no one was left out, and uh, that's my segment. I w- it went a little longer than I thought. Had I? Wow, yeah. I would have. Uh, I, that's not someone who uh, I would have considered probably, but that's a great. That's that's a really fun role to imagine Cage in. Yes. Um, he throws beautiful, his, Derek. His, I'm impressed yeah. by that. Thank, thank you. Well, you know, I've, I've been thinking about it, and and uh, you know, when you're quarantined, Dave, you you have some time to think about stuff like that. Um, you sure do, and uh, you also have some time to rewatch some classic films. And uh, this is actually the oldest movie that we've reviewed on the show. I think this is the cutoff point. This is the furthest back that we're gonna go. Um, I right. think it's it's important because we've uh, it, it is sort of this birth of a franchise for Nick, and then he ends up making an, another one later on, and he's got a couple more on the horizon apparently. Um, but we are covering, of course, National Treasure, directed by John Turtletaub. This was a 2004 um, film, and a brief synopsis. A historian races to find the legendary Templar treasure before a team of mercenaries does. Um, and, I, I mean, this is like a classic action film. Out of all the movies we've covered, this one probably has the broadest audience, has had the yes. most people watch it, has the most... I, I imagine the mo- most of you are familiar with this movie. Um, but yeah, it's like very much classic adventure genre where we have a small, like, plucky group of adventurers who are racing, like, against a, a, much, a much better funded criminal faction. And there's... You know, also like the, there's a faction of law enforcement that are uh, that are like kind of have their hearts in the right place, but they don't really understand everything. And it's uh, lots of, you know, big set pieces and stuff. Um, but, yeah, we've got this movie, of course, stars Nicolas Cage, uh, Diane Kruger's in it. Justin Bartha, Sean Bean plays the villain. Um, John Voight plays Nick's father, Patrick Gates. We have uh, Harvey Kite. Kaitel, who plays the head of the FBI. Um, yeah, you know, and we watched it. We watched the film. We watched the film, Derek. We did. Uh, we sure did. We watched National Treasure. No. So it is, it is the oldest movie. Um, Nick's looking young in it. He does. Looking pretty young. Well, is... I'll tell you, he, uh, he had quite a collar on in this film. He did like his his the outfit. His literal wearing, collar, yes. from like the first half hour of this movie, is something. I have a about his collar as well. A seventies disco. It is a little much. Yes, a hundred percent. We yeah, we always end got... up beginning with the clothes, <laughs> and we got to start with the clothes. Uh, <laughs> I but I also I also had a note about his his collar. Um, but yeah, I mean, like this movie had a lot of stuff working for it. Christopher Plummer plays Nick's grandpa, and there's yeah. like a kind of a cool scene at the to- yeah. uh, at the, the start of the movie great. where, uh, yeah, um, it's very Jumanji ish, very Jumanji, very very Indiana Jones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Nick is is investigating his grandpa's attic, and then Christopher Plummer comes in. 
uh, and he's just sort of like spouting this this family war and and kind of tells Nick about this this treasure that um, the gates are are the only ones who know a, like a clue that will lead to this treasure, um, and it kind of kicks off Nick's. Um, forever like commitment to trying to unearth this treasure and uh, America's commitment to geocaching after this yes. movie came out. It's uh yeah, but Christopher Plummer is really good. He's a good, good grandpa to have. Um, but yeah, he, he gives them, I, I, so the, the movie after, after like we get that little time where Nick is a kid, we uh, establish that his dad is someone who is, anti-treasure he's he's not yeah. about it he's Come not on. about the family you ruined it you ruined my life treasure hunters yeah that's john voight um he he kind of plays old curmudgeon he's the naysayer in the in the movie um but then we're in the arctic and uh and and nick is like a part of a crew he's been hired by this this like very um, moneyed financier in the form of Sean Bean who uh, is trying to like figure out this treasure uh, and at the time Nick thinks like oh this is all on the up and up this guy wants uh, to figure out where this treasure is for the historical ramifications and all that but of, of course uh, he's betrayed by Sean Bean Sean Bean the ultimate villain and betrayer uh, you can tell I told movie. I told my fiance we were watching I was like. You can tell by his like frosted tips, his long frosted tips, that he's the bad guy. Like, you just yeah. know. Uh, th- he, I might have like kind of a crush on Sean Beam. He's pretty just oh, pretty too. fucking cool. I love him um, so much. And this movie would not be the same without him. Like their back and forth and rivalry. Um, it's almost like under different circumstances they would be colleagues. Well, they are in the beginning. Uh, is like a yeah. it's like a great through line um, throughout uh, Nick's like antagonist protagonist relationship with him couldn't agree more sean bean i think maybe he he is such like a good understandable and sympathetic villain like he can be doing like heinous stuff but obviously like i think you and i boromir is our our favorite yeah, character boromir is my favorite character yeah for sure he's my favorite character as well and and being like so completely captures this guy who yeah. It like has this like fail the frailty of man of, like exactly yeah. the, this failure of judgment and then like immediately regrets it and has like and he also there there's another um movie i think the patriot games which is mm-hmm. a, a jack ryan um movie with uh harrison ford and he plays like um a member of the uh, sean bean plays a member of the ira who's kind of the villain in the movie and he's just like fully sympathetic like you can just like it fully get behind him and it makes it a, a much more compelling dynamic than if this was just some like menacing villain who you know was like had all the resources and and had like the brawn and could always best nick there but um because like being like plays his character with so much heart you know i think yeah. it definitely adds like a dimension to this movie that probably wouldn't be there otherwise well <laughs> he, he brings a lot to it yeah, my biggest, like, if I could summarize the biggest problem I have with watching, like, going through this movie. Um, yeah. Besides the uh, the romance, um, if you can call it that, uh, 
is is just is just that Nick's character is a Mary Sue like uh, big time. Um, he he doesn't really have any interesting flaws or growth. He just is always kind of smooth. He just kind of always knows what to say. He he's kind of always being the good guy. He's always right. He's always uh, and there's no like build up to it and like even like the beginning of the romance which is really boring in this movie is uh it starts because he gives her the perfect gift at the perfect time because he looked at one thing in her office and he knew exactly what to do and their romance throughout the movie like echoes his um like boring perfection in that there is like barely any conflict between them except for in the very beginning when he has a very strange like are we going to duct tape her? Are we going to tell her to shut up? Like as they're like romance is budding, it's very weird beginning and then turns into just a super bored. Honestly, David, this movie has made me appreciate national treasure Two a little bit more like the risks and things that they did to give Nick's character an arc, to let him go off the leash a little bit, to actually add some conflict between him and his love interest that gets like resolved over time. I agree. You know, I think I think two in retrospect is, which is like a weird thing to say. Yeah, the sequel. I should have watched them in order. Um, but two like feels like a reflection on their relationship in this movie. In that it, in the second film, it starts and they are like uh, they're broken up. They it didn't work out. And mm-hmm. in this movie, you get the sense that it's like, oh, there wasn't anything here beyond the chemistry of like a high stakes situation in this like shared passion like they, they yeah. are clearly both passionate about in the moment and preserving history the surface and like level. learning yeah learning the truth about um uh you know the, the their country's history mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I totally agree with you like the context of the second movie where it's like it quickly dissolved after all of those higher stakes were removed from their relationship. I think it's kind of like a funny commentary on how poorly like assembled this relationship is. If that was the intent, that's actually like, that's pretty cool that they, uh, that they did that. Like, um, because especially at the end of the first one, it is like the, the lack of conflict or growth and the perfect, like Mm -hmm. the perfection of that relationship, almost like it's a fucking like salad commercial or something um, speaks to its uh, like superficial nature. Uh, Yeah. And I don't think they really intended that. They just, it seemed like they maybe just wanted to create a conflict because God, you can't do another two hours of them just being like, like fairy tale, happy in love with no like conflict. Um, for sure it's it's a strange thing because i it's it's wild this is maybe nick's like highest grossing movie of all time it's like a thing that a lot of people know and like nick a lot for but -hmm. like watching it i'm just like it's not that interesting of a performance like it, it and especially when you put it up against the other great adventure fiction performances like if you think about what harrison ford does with indiana jones it's like he he portrays a character that is so obvious. Like the thing that I always say about Harrison Ford, one of the reasons I think he's like one of the great action stars ever is that he portrays. And I might have even said this in our in uh, in National Treasure Two, our, our National Treasure Two episode. But Harrison Ford portrays fear barely tempered by courage so so well. Mm. Where it's like 
the, the fear is like right on the surface, but he's able to sort of like do what's necessary. Cage can't really do that, or he doesn't at least here. Mm-hmm. You don't get the sense that he is legitimately scared or worried or invested and and emotionally drained and exhausted by the circumstances of uh, his his adventure that he's on. And some of the stuff that he does do well in this movie is like, I think that he kind of plays a nerd well. Like I think that he there's there's kind of a funny moment where he's putting together some clues and it's right after they go and uh, buy new clothes to get like an outfit change so that they're not mm-hmm. spotted as uh, as easily once they're kind of on the lam. And there's a, a funny moment where they're they're like in front of the cashier and they're putting together clues and Nick is sort of monologuing and, and thinking about it and ruminating in real time. And his like focus, he's like so locked into trying to uh, uh, like put these clues together and figure out where they lead that he like his focus shifts and he's like latched onto the cashier at one point and like explaining it to her. He's <laughs> like, what, what's going on? Uh, and it's like funny because you buy the fact that he's so genuinely uh like an an expert at this stuff but he doesn't have he doesn't have like the pathos of of some of the other um like uh, harrison ford or like a brendan fraser in the mummy is like Mm -hmm. so good at like showing that he's terrified like even though he is a hero he's like great at showing like this is terrifying this is this situation is terrifying i never felt like nick was scared or on his heels in a way or like was at his emotional breaking point in this movie and i think it like ends up just like leaving you kind of uninvested ultimately yeah i i agree mary sue is the biggest issue he is he's very good at everything and then like diane kruger i think is is a good character sean and she she plays his romantic interests um someone who works at the museum um, that has the Declaration of Independence at it. Um, And she's sort of like trying to protect it and like comes along on the journey to just make sure that it's okay. And like, she's also obviously interested if there is a secret about, um, you know, a a secret hidden behind the the Declaration of Independence. And we we can't say for sure that there's not. Until we check and we sort of... um, are making plans and we're gonna get in there ourselves get our hands on the thing turn <laughs> just it over get, just real uh, down squish and some dirty. lemons on it <laughs> uh, parody of course parody so um, <laughs> so so dave this let's hear it. movie it has the beauty and the beast uh sin is, is what i like to call it um and it's a disney thing clearly uh, I forgot that this was a Disney movie, actually, when I it saw the... Disney movie, yeah, yeah, Disney's changed a lot, too. <laughs> um, so, the Beauty and the Beast sin to me is, like, what Shrek did correctly, Beauty and the Beast did wrong, where... Shrek, almost played by Nicholas Cage. Almost, but so it's all coming together. So, in Shrek, right, the, the curse is lifted or whatever, true love's kiss, blah, 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 blah. The characters are in love and there's a good ending and she's supposed to turn back into a beautiful woman. She remains an ogre and Shrek says, yeah, you're a beautiful person. Like that's the point. Like you don't have to look stick thin like a Disney princess to be beautiful. You mm-hmm. need to be like in love with the ability to love, to know who you are, to go on this wow. arc. 
And Beauty and the Beast didn't do that. You know, the, the love set them free and then they're handsome. They can't be happy unless they're beautiful and handsome. Now, this movie does this in that we get to the dead end at the end. And it's, you know, oh no, there's no treasure. My life's a lie. What have I done? And there's a beautiful moment where it's like, no, you proved that this was real, even though there's nothing left. And you have won my respect and affection as your father. You've turned me into someone who's less jaded and we're closer as a family. And we don't Mm -hmm. need a treasure in order to have our bonds of love strengthened. And that's a great way to do it right. But, oh, by the way, there's a big ass treasure room and it's like all the literal treasure is the like is is the is the the elixir it's actually treasure it's physical treasure that's what it's all about and and that to me is like a beauty and the beast sin where you don't actually need the the treasure is a father's acceptance and love yeah really really weird because it is such a sweet message that is immediately undermined and thrown away ultimately (laughs) feels like a little like ramshackled the ending of this movie is very very strange of course we're not gonna like get through and walk through every like beat of this movie just because you've probably seen it and you can watch it right now it's It's not that interesting streaming services um but there there's also like a really weird resolution in that they get they end up getting the treasure after that really beautiful message that they sort of uh immediately throw away lengths and earn and it like it totally works that undermined and then there's no like resolution between him and sean bean sean bean's like ending and arc in this movie is so like lame they they basically get out they go uh out of uh this treasure cache go find the fbi tell on sean bean and then he just gets picked up he just gets like picked up by police and just they just set like they spring a trap on him yeah yeah fucking think about indiana jones the guys the bad guy's faces melt like (laughs) there's such a good gratifying as as like a a, a showcase of their greed and wanting too much and it, it destroying them yeah exactly yeah in this movie, Sean Bean is like trying to pick a lock, and it just like we we <laughs> on see a back him lot. on the street with his goons. He's trying to pick a lock. A couple cop cars like pull up, and he's like, "Ah, oh, gosh." Yeah, he it. like kicks the dirt, and that's it. <laughs> he kicks the dirt and that's goes, it. "Dang it!" That is the ending uh, of the big bad in this movie. Um, I will say though, Derek, yeah. we know that we're getting more national, national treasure three. Yeah, we love we love Sean Bean as we've said. Yeah. This guy has been in prison thinking about Benjamin Gates, Ooh. thinking about what he's done, how Ooh, he's put him away. Get him. I'd love to get Bean back in the mix. Let's get the Bean back chair going. <laughs> Let's get Bean back in the mix. Um, I, I will say, you know, one of the things about this movie that is like kind of cool and maybe a little progressive, even though I think it is probably unintentional, is that so many of these treasure hunting adventure movies focus on it's like a very western centric perspective which this Mm -hmm. movie also has but it's all about going and uh the the westerners obligation to preserve other yeah people steal other people's artifacts and put them in a hole underneath an american church (laughs) 
Definitely, yeah. Uh, and there's like there's the the great moment in Black Panther where uh, Michael B. Jordan's character is in a museum, uh, and 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 is just like I have more of a right to this stuff than than you do, white like museum curator, when he's looking at these African artifacts. Uh, and it's like, oh, that's like a, a really compelling argument. Uh, the interesting thing about this movie that I think makes it a little progressive, even though I don't attribute this to the writers of it at all, is that the fact that it is so grounded in American, like U.S. history. Mm-hmm. It feels like, oh, we do, uh, like, I can understand the fact that there is a direct, um, like, bloodline from Nick and this and, and this historical event. I understand the fact that he would feel this personal investment to trying to see it through. Like, it feels personal in a way that, you know, Indiana Jones and going, discovering something of a long forgotten ancient civilization can't feel personal. Um, And it's like, uh, and maybe they could have like done some more interesting stuff with that. I mean, I, Um, if I may be so bold too, I believe it like um, that's one thing us as Americans don't really have is history and mythology um, and like Mm -hmm. ancient artifacts that just doesn't exist unless you're talking about like native American stuff. Yeah, exactly. So like, that's like, I, I mean, it's it's not nothing like t- the fact that your country and how you I- like your identity is like an American and your parents were probably Americans and stuff like me and you Dave like to not have any wonder about um like even England has like the king- lines of kings and queens and like a huge history and lineage so to be able to kind of take the ancient history of many cultures which is kind of like what america is as a melting pot and like Mm -hmm. uh preserve them in this like new nation as like a big secret is like a way to kind of like tack on some mythology and like uh um, artifact hunting for your american culture which doesn't normally exist but kind of can in this context yeah um yeah i i think that's 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 a good point. Um, but I think that, I don't know. Uh, do, is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no. I mean, okay. Movie, so like the movies up? like that can be like, I know it's like, oh, you know, we're going to poke at every plot hole in like a freaking Disney action movie. Wow. What a bunch of fun guys to have over at a party. Well, if the movie's fun enough and inter- and like a fun enough amusement park ride, I don't feel like I need to like poke holes and stuff. I just like it's just kind of I just kind of got bored. Like it's just a little boring. Like some totally. parts, you know. Like I've, yeah, I mean, the the movies that were that I keep like bringing up, like movies like The Mummy or the Indiana Jones franchise. Th- those movies are just as zany when you like go beat by beat through their yeah. plot. It's just like they're they're better executed. They're better versions of films in this genre. Yeah. And uh and unfortunately like you know, I'm glad that Nick gets another shot at this well type of movie. The trajectory like, is good. Interesting. Like the yeah. second one's cool and every like both this one and the second one both have just awesome tech gadgets that totally date the movie. And so I'm yes. really excited to see what like tech gadgets like just a bunch of apple like ipads everywhere and stuff like it's gonna be such a like a (laughs) they they really encase these things in a time capsule it's really funny i totally and i think that there's hopefully they they make a movie that is like 
very aware of like uh, uh, Mission Impossible is another thing that I think about uh, in relation to this type of a movie. You have the the sequence where um, Nick is breaking in to actually steal the uh, the Declaration of Independence, and it's him and his like friend Riley, who's played by Justin Bartha who's kind of giving him intelligence and, and hacking in to the mainframe. And it's very much like Tom Cruise and, um, and, uh, Oh God, what's, who's the, who's the guy who's Benny from or Benji from the mission impossible mm. who, who plays, who's the guy from like Shaun of the dead, Derek, you know, this, you know this, uh, I know his, didn't he play, um, one of the dudes in one of the Skeksis in the new dark crystal. Oh, I don't know. He's also. We should start I a mean, dark he's in every podcast. Um, but you have that sort of like dynamic Simon Pegg. of Simon Pegg, of course. Yeah. Our apologies, Mister Pegg. He plays uh, one of the Skeksis. <laughs> he plays. Uh, he plays like the main bad Skeksis. Sorry, <laughs> I have not seen it. What? <laughs> I haven't seen the Dark Crystal show. Uh, okay, well. Um, I, I've heard it's great. Great practical effects, I hear. Yeah, well, they're puppets, Dave. Puppets. Great puppet. Great Simon um, Pegg performance. I but so you you have and Mission Impossible is a um, a franchise that has been one upping itself and I, I would argue putting out like better movie after better movie. Those movies are incredible. It, it those movies I think are like the pinnacle of what a blockbuster film can be they're just like these incredibly well um meticulously crafted set pieces um just like tons of practical stunts really really cool movies but i hope that they can look and be like oh this is very much like when we're breaking into a high security museum when it's just two guys who have the world against them and you have to sort of get by on their individual expertise um that that is very much what they're trying to do. So I hope that they really do pay attention to like what's out there right now and like where the bar has been set and try to like one up that stuff cuz otherwise like I think it, they're we're in for a pretty disappointing. Movie. I'm not uh, um, holding my fucking breath, Dave. Me neither. Me neither. But um okay, that's we're not even talking about this the uh, about the fucking national treasure anymore we're talking about the the sequels but um okay let's get into our reviews uh, yeah. of this movie derek do you want to do you want to start us off uh i think uh i think uh that this is i didn't even think about like if i'm gonna give it a bad bad or a good <laughs> bad yet um it's uh geez i feel like i'm gonna piss everybody off if i give it a bad bad but you know what fuck you it's a bad movie, guys. It's not very fun. Yeah. It's not very well thought out. It's really, uh, it's very uh, um, crowd pleasing um, in the most uh, flat, kind of unthoughtful way. And it's a bad, bad for me. And I don't care who has to say what about it. Derek, um, I, I feel very, very strongly that. So a good good, like what earns a good good is when a, a film is like enjoyable for the reasons that from the like Intention. intentions of the directors, yeah. the the director that worked on it. It's like yes. this uh, and they tried to make like a, a traditional adventure genre film um, and it doesn't it doesn't work. It like doesn't work as that. It's like, yeah. OK, this is like serviceable at best. Yeah. 
Um, but it's so strange to me because this movie is so, so popular. I bring up Nick Cage and a lot of people say, I love National Treasure. Yeah. Like, no joke. Yeah. But then I think back to his other like big blockbusters that got him here. I think about like Con Air and The Rock and, and Face Off. All of those performances are so fun and they're just like better um, made blockbusters. They're, they're like more fun, more engaging. They're, they're more inventive and creative. And this movie is just, it feels like really like rote and his performance in particular, like I just don't have yeah. a good sense of who he is in this movie. I feel yeah. like it was sort of just uh, a payday for him. And it, it's unfortunate. I wish because this is his big franchise and his career, like he doesn't have a lot of like franchise movies. He did a sequel for Ghost Rider as well, which is really weird and we'll get into eventually. But Hello. this is kind of it for him. This is his big franchise. And I really wish that it was a movie I liked more and that I um, you know, could sort of go to bat for, but I, I just can't. And I, I'm going to also give it a bad, bad. It was a right place, right time. I don't know. Disney's good at this sometimes by not making something that's good, but something that's good right now. Um, and yeah. like, it, I think people remember going to the theater a long ass time ago and seeing Nick Cage in an action movie where the whole conceit is that he's going to steal the Declaration of Independence. And for the first time hearing about that and for the first time going into the theater and seeing it, they had fun and it was right before geocaching. And it was like a pretty kind of novel idea that like, Oh, what if there are secrets in our own backyard? And that's what people love like that. But I don't think those people really watch it uh, in a contemporary sense or have really watched it yeah. since. And I, and I think that it's, it's, it's not necessarily as deserving as it should of its, um, of its wide appeal. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. So we both hit it with a bad, bad. I'm kind of surprised. Me too. Derek. I'm, I'm fucking really surprised actually. I, I thought that this would have, I thought this would have been kind of a lock for a good, good. And maybe that's part of the reason why, I was a little disappointed. I went in with a little higher expectations, but I would feel like I'm being honest. And soon, much soon, rather watch uh, the sequel than this. Yeah, I also think the sequel was better. Um, Good villain ending okay. with the sequel. Great villain ending with the sequel. Yeah, Ed Harris, great. Fuck, man, he's cool. Um, okay, uh, now it's time for a little segment that we like to call Cage Match. A ding, ding, ding. ding. All right, and uh, in this segment, of course, we are going to um, establish where this film falls into the greater pantheon of the films that we've reviewed so far on Contemporary Cage. Um, Derek, I'm going to drop these movies Thank you. in Discord for you so you can take a look. Um, Woo, it's getting long. Of course, the list, yeah, the list getting longer, and I do still have to read it, is... Mandy, Joe, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, Dog Eat Dog, The Frozen Ground, Color Out of Space, National Treasure, The Book of Secrets, Stolen, Grand Isle, Kill Chain, Outcast, Ghost Rider, Primal, Pay the Ghost, Left Behind, Sorcerer's Apprentice, and at the bottom of the barrel, Knowing. Dang. Dang. <sighs> Frozen Ground and Color Out of Space. Up there with the big boys. Yeah. Yeah. I think deservedly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Frozen Ground. But yeah, I, I mean... Damn. The Frozen Ground <laughs> The Frozen Ground is high. Yeah. Um, it's right under Dog Eat Dog, man. Yeah. Man, can I tell you, I'm really proud that we've that Dog Eat Dog is sitting where it's sitting. Yeah, it was the first one, like right? 
yeah but i feel like we're really justified in that we haven't put any we haven't had any of these like little flirtations yeah. little crushes uh, with maybe yeah maybe this was a I little think bit that is <laughs> that <laughs> intro sequence to talk dog is outrageous like that thing sits with yeah. me like that is such a cool cool fucking intro um okay but this isn't what we're doing right now we got to figure out where national treasure falls on this list okay so we've already established that it's under book of secrets national treasure 2 definitely we both i yeah um um i think it's under stolen um now i think it's also grand isle kill chain territory i I think is where because grand island kill chain both have that kind of like lack of follow-through in their endings and and, definitely results um yeah and for everything negative we said about this movie it is a cohesively made it's a disney movie you know yeah it's obviously a lot of money was put into this it's it's a very different movie than grand isle and kill chain yeah i mean grand isle and kill chain there's one two three four five six like seven movies underneath them and i feel like we can put it around this area Um, yeah but I, i i i honestly um i think it is still something like i think it is still a better movie than grand isle and kill chain it's really it's, it's a it's a it's a film it's like a film both of those movies are are messes in in ways uh in like pretty severe ways yeah and like if you think about it if you go down the list <laughs> this is gonna be a really stupid thing that i'm about to say but mandy is a film joe's a film all of these are like films that have intent and purpose all the way to Color Out of Space, National Treasure, Stolen is a film. Yeah. But I think that's the last one where Before I'm Before like, it starts becoming like kind of missed projects. Like, this like is mismanaged. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. And I think that at the end of the day, National Treasure is still a film. Yeah, you got to stop saying a film. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. Like it wasn't, it wasn't mismanaged or like um, a production that got away from itself or wasn't complete. Right. Um, it, it didn't like we call this a bad bad because we're we're um, taking it for what it's intended to be. Whereas some things mm-hmm. are good bads because they're they're good despite what they intended it to be. Um, so in this exactly. like the whole the the holistic nature of the intention making for the movie um but god man i don't know like cage performance wise mm. definitely not really as interesting as grand isle um i'll tell you that but i think yeah i agree with you that there. ending of grand, grand isle, isle is, is so bad i cannot believe it is so high compared to all this other crapola cuz you know left behind is kind of a cohesive thing it's not very good at all and it's near the bottom yeah but it's it kind of sticks to its guns and is pretty cohesive you know what i mean like yeah so if we're looking at the intent of this list to be like hey uh i i really want to see the interesting movie like nicholas cage movies that he's been doing uh that he's been doing lately right right i think that grand isle beats it in, in so far as it's a really really good and interesting cage performance it, it's it's a, so hard because messy grand isle movie. is the biggest example of a mismanaged strung together ending that makes no sense that is not it doesn't have a seal of approval of like a disney could ever give it because it's just not definitely a cohesive thing 
Um, but but here's the thing: if you had to choose between like, and this is this is difficult because this maybe it doesn't this maybe like betrays the spirit of this list a little bit. But mm-hmm. if you had to tell your friend like, um, like hey, he's, your friend asks. I'm going to sit down and watch watch National Treasure tonight uh, or Grand Isle and I really am want a fun I just want to have fun watching the cage. Well, then Grand I Isle 100%. 100%. If you want to have fun watching the yeah. cage, there's some fun crazy shit in Grand Isle. Um Exactly. That's kind of where I'm at. But like we have like, to be as consistent as possible because we cannot yeah, destroy the legitimacy <laughs> of this list. Yeah, for any right. reason so okay i'm thinking of this <clears throat> if you think of national treasure book of secrets stolen and national treasure one they're all kind of within a similar genre and trying to do the same thing couldn't agree more so yeah. if you think about that book of secrets is the best version of those three stolen and then national treasure so i agree yeah so above grand isle is grand isle better than the worst adventure genre movie on the list that's what we have to ask ourselves <laughs> i mean i as a filmmaker some parts of grand isle are just more unforgivable so i'd put it above grand isle like yeah not like i think that's... i'm a filmmaker i mean like if you call yourself a filmmaker and you make the mistakes or shortcomings of yeah. National Treasure, they're nowhere near the mistakes and shortcomings and lack of vision and filmmaking as a verb as Grand Isle is. So yeah. maybe just lumping all those three adventure movies together does make sense. And it's kind of a one, two, three in terms of quality going downwards until we hit the real stinkers. I agree. Uh, and I th- I still think that leaves Grand Isle um, up above a lot of other movies that yeah. don't have the benefit of being an absolute fucking mess, like garbage fire, but having like a worthwhile cage performance. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, so, yes, of course, our new list is Mandy, Joe, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, Dog Eat Dog, The Frozen Ground, Color Out of Space, National Treasure, The Book of Secrets, Stolen, National Treasure, Grand Isle, Kill Chain, Outcast, Ghost Rider, Primal, Pay the Ghost, Left Behind, Sorcerer's Apprentice, and at the bottom of the barrel, Knowing. Love it. Perfect. I love it. Derek, it's time to move into a little segment that we like to call Cage News. This is a long one. I love it. <laughs> this is a long one. I, it, it, I'm having fun, though. Yeah. All right. First up on the docket, we've got first look at um, Pig Neon, who is the um, production company that just put out the Oscar award-winning best picture film, Parasite, Ooh. has acquired the Nicolas Cage revenge thriller Pig. With the Truffle um, Hunter? The Truffle Hunting Pig, yeah. It made our list of one of our number one most anticipated Nicolas Cage oh movies of goodness. 2020. Uh, I'm sending you the first look right now, Derek. We see Nick sitting on a porch in sort yeah, of a, a ramshackled like yes, cabin. He's eating some breakfast, it looks like, There's... and right in front of him <laughs> is a pig who's also eaten a little bit. Looking at him um, incredulously, there are like random metal things hanging from metal change in a shitty little cabin. Yeah. He's wearing combat boots and he looks 
unkempt to high hell. So this a is very. We just see a glimpse of it, but it looks like a very promising, like sort of drifter hermit yeah. cabin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and I will say the fact that Neon picked this up, uh, that is a good. That's a boating bit of a well. Neon, yeah, Neon. Um, of course, um, puts out some good stuff, and then. Uh, of course, a quick description of what Pig is, if, if someone is listening to this episode for the first time. Cage is uh, a reclusive truffle hunter in Oregon whose prized um, hunting pig is kidnapped, forcing him to return to his old stomping grounds in Portland and confront his past. Um, yeah, so very exciting. Another movie that where Nick good. is going to be confronting his past. Um, next up, we've got and this is this is we're we're sort of wading into the rumor mill here a little huh. bit. Um, I don't I don't love doing this, but it's fun. And due to the fact that we covered National Treasure today, um, I think that this is pertinent. Uh, we got this covered. dot com is reporting that Nicolas Cage will reportedly return for National Treasure. Four Whoa. as well. <laughs> so they're saying that uh, some insiders are, uh, and of course, like if you know anything about Hollywood and how fickle they are uh, with abandoning franchises and changing direction, uh, just the ask the next, they... the last five Spider Mans. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> the minute that they smell that something is going to underperform. Uh, or not progressively make more and more money. They will like jettison something. So this doesn't mean a lot. But as of right now, uh, Disney is looking to reboot this with um, the intention of having both a third and a fourth chapter uh, in, um, in the National Treasure franchise. I guarantee you, so, fourth chapter, third chapter, Nick's dad dies, fourth chapter, Mm. Nick is the dad, and he has a young man taking up the mantle. Wow, son! And who do we, who would we? And hopefully, Sean Bean uh, comes back for one of these, right? Maybe Sean Bean kills uh, his dad. Just calling it. Oh, that's good. Um, but yeah, who would, who do we want? Who do we want to take on the Nick Cage's son of Benjamin Gates? Oh, Adam Driver. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That I'm telling good. you, I'm a cast man. Oh man, I'm big I, nose. Yeah, I'm watching that. Just like Dick, whatever said. Yeah, <laughs> Dick Cavett. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Age. Oh man, Dick Cavett would have absolutely ragged on Adam Driver. Oh yeah, dude. Um, Adam Driver that eats good. that I, shit. I like that a lot. He might be a little um, old to be like the kind of young son I was thinking, but it's hard to it's hard to know yeah. where the young talent lies until you discover it. That's true. Like I guess the last movie was in 2007. His son, if he had like a kid immediately after yeah. that film ended, they would be like 13 now. <laughs> yeah. Long lost. But maybe. Uh, maybe he's the descendant yeah, of Boromir or Sean Beam and he's the evil guy. Oh, wow. Either or way. Or maybe he's his like little brother. Little bro. A little bro. <laughs> um, okay. And our last uh, news item. For this week, um, I'm also going to share this with you really quickly, Derek. Um, okay. And this is a piece of audio. As we all, 
know <laughs> maybe we all don't know this <laughs> but as we we reported the on cage in the previous episode of contemporary cage the cage nation is aware of this cage and kesha hung out right. at um i believe it was his color out of space premiere mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. they hung out she was like it was so cool to meet him i love cage blah 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 he, he's amazing we saw another cool picture of cage marilyn manson alex wolf and kesha all hanging out on a couch do you remember that yes Derek? yeah oh yeah yeah really cute super the cute. story continues to develop with maybe this is wild Derek. i'm, I'm okay. excited to get your reaction kesha on her personal twitter put out a song and uh and just has the word mood written on it. So I'm going to have you listen to this. I'm going to pipe in. I'm just going to play the whole uh, thing for our listeners as well. But you watch this, Derek. Okay. What the f- Ah. is that isn't that incredible <laughs> nicholas cage shit dude that's something somebody has said i think uh oh my god it's so good and the amount of references that that she has and makes all in it, one it, yeah i love the the sampling I, but i love because that's one of my favorite line deliveries yeah. oh, good call baby doll it's one of my favorite <laughs> it's deliveries. so fucking good oh Kesha. Uh, Really cool, and then uh, I don't know if this is like just a like a preview of a full song, or if this is all she did. It's just like a fun but, little project for the quarantine, or what? Yeah, um, but yeah, I'm I I like I've always liked Kesha. I think she's a fun pop artist who, uh, yeah, she's she's totally fun. And then obviously like had that whole like awful um who who is it like Doctor Luke situation where she couldn't record with anyone else and she had like these sexual assault allegations against the person who owned like her music and like spent like three or four years where she couldn't make any music at all so i'm glad that that's all in her past i I think that that was dealt with legally so she's back out there putting out music and is able to do cool stuff like this yeah just fucking just a cool song about a cool guy i mean really cool I mean, it means it means he has definitely left an impression on Kesha enough to where she is creating art around his contribution to art. I mean, yeah, what do we do here, and Dave? There's like deep cuts. There, there's, uh, there's, um, uh, there's clips from Vampire. Um, what is it called? The Vampire. I'm a vampire. Diary. I'm a vampire. Yeah. Vampire's Kiss is yeah. the movie, and uh, yeah, there's like, there's. 
it, it's a deep cut. Like she knows, she, she knows what she's talking about. The, yeah, the she, references are on point. Well, uh, if you're gonna go to the it, trouble of, of of doing a song called like Nicolas Cage shit, you know, you're you're gonna you're gonna know what you're talking about here. It's like us. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. So Ke- we talked <laughs> last time we talked about Kesha. We said uh, we we talked about the possibility of making her the honorary musical artist of Cage right. Nation. We right. were like, ah, we don't know. I think she's earned it at this point. Yeah, no, she's a lock. She is the honorary musical guest friend of the show. Will always be welcome here. And yes. uh, we just love her relationship with Cage and this song. And to us, she is our queen. Yes, we we have no choice but to stand Kesha. She is our the queen of Cage Nash. Uh <laughs> and uh yeah, big ups. Your queen of Cage Nash. Kesha. Kesha. Cuz the women um, the women the, in in Nick's life, you know, they come and go. I hate to say it and I hope <laughs> Yes, but Kesha but will yeah, be. Kesha eternal. stays forever <laughs> immortalized. Um Yeah, so wonderful. Uh I think that'll That'll wrap it up for us. That was a, a healthy news week and yeah. a healthy episode overall. My goodness. Oh, I this feel healthy. I feel so coming healthy. Coming in at an hour and a half about. Um, but yeah, a fun one. We Lots of new segments. Got a song. What what a good song. I wonder if she would let us use that thank, for our theme song. You know, that's, I'll leave that up to her lawyers, but you know, thank you, Kesha, for just giving it to us, the world, the, <laughs> yeah. the music. Giving yeah. us a taste. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, but... We hope that you guys all continue to stay healthy and safe out there. Yeah, um, yeah. But uh, until next week. Wait, Dave, you got to say, follow us on Twitter at CagePod. Oh you got to say, please rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, please. It helps us a lot. You got to say, Der- Derek's been doing a great job on the Instagram. It's getting wet and wild oh, over yeah. there. Follow CagePod at so- CagePod. At CagePod on both Twitter and Instagram, we're doing uh, little clips of um, audio on on Instagram now, accompanied with some visuals. Um, follow us on Twitter. I've been like trying to be pretty active on Twitter and retweeting a lot of like good Cage related contact nice. and content. There's been your one stop shop for like, Cage streaming lists um, that have come out like for if you're interested in watching some good classic cage stuff uh during quarantine that i've been retweeting i retweeted the kesha song of course so some of you might have already heard heard this little masterpiece um and then also yes as derek said please review the show on itunes that would be a huge help for us we'd uh really really appreciate it and then also if you want to reach out in a more formal way or if you have any questions for the show um you can do that at contemporary cage at gmail.com I didn't know we had a Gmail. We got a Gmail. Wow, we're on the map. Hey, you know. Well, it's official. We're now on Facebook. <laughs> you ever seen the, the Garth Brooks thing? Is that Garth? No. I don't know what you're talking uh, about. God. That's a meme. I just want to speak for the entirety of the Cage Nation or lift the curtain a little bit. Uh, yes. We all, on behalf of Cage Nation, David... We all just want to thank you for all the tireless work that goes into 
editing the show and getting the segments ready and thinking about new things to do for the show because I show up, I waltz my little butt right in and I just plop on a microphone and I just start shitting all over this guy. But he's the one who actually takes the files and puts them into a file thing and then makes other files out of files and then gets those files where they need to be so that you spoiled little cagey brats can hear our little voices in your little ears. So thank you to from everybody. And I hope if we ever get a Patreon or something that all that money goes to uh, getting you a better microphone and maybe some lessons on how to use uh, audio editing software so that our... <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Almost a very nice... We almost escaped the compliment. <laughs> very nice. But thank you no, that's to all, everything sweet, you Derek. do, Dave. Everything you do. Uh, big. I uh, really appreciate that. That was very sweet of you, Derek. And uh, just right back at you, I really appreciate that you've gone on this journey with me. It's been so, so fun. Uh, this is like a weird fascination that I have and I feel so grateful. I, I wouldn't do it if I was just me. So I, I truly, and there's no one I would rather do it with. Well, so, you know, appreciate you, buddy. I didn't think it would ever be, but now it is part of my life. It's etched on my soul. <laughs> like my mortal experience, my human experience is intertwined with this strange beautiful actor and uh yeah i'm happy i'm grateful that you've thrust this curse upon me and i can't wait till next week yeah absolutely and um we'll just send some positive thoughts to him of course nick is uh out there i'm sure we're gonna get some news about like some of his productions being paused uh or halted but we hope that he's doing okay um yeah. but yeah and then we again we hope that you guys are all doing good out there and then we hope that uh you continue to enjoy listening to the cage pod we'll keep putting them out and what are we watching next week oh my god because i'm really excited i'm really excited about oh, this yes. one super uh, excited streaming on netflix most of you probably will have access to this we have the trust which is a 2016 film about two las vegas police officers um played by nick cage and elijah wood uh i i started watching this one and i i think guys i think we might have uh as i was saying earlier a film (laughs) (laughs) might have a good might be a a little bit of a good good film on our hands take it from us the experts and legitimately if you're and and i don't know how it (laughs) (laughs) if if you're following us on social media you'll already have seen clips uh up from this uh yes. movie to get you to wet your whistle and get you excited as well so go head on over there hit, hit, smash that like button and what were you head on say? over uh no yeah I'm, I'm excited about this movie i was just gonna talk more about this movie even though we've talked enough yeah that'll do it for this week contemporary cage we'll see you guys all next week later cage nash what an ep Hello and welcome to Contemporary Cage, an expert and informed look at the latter half of actor Nicolas Cage's filmography. On today's episode, we're going to be covering the 2004... Oh, I'm going to take that over. (laughs) You know, I was literally 
literally just about to interrupt you after you finished and said, wow, what a strong start. Like you really came in hot with that. And I then really you fucking, well, I said 20 to I'm four so used to saying 20, the 2010s, the 24, you know, the last decade has been the twenties, the twenties. I say, I say we just, me off. I say we just keep this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe, maybe we'll put this in at the end. Yeah. Put it in at the end. It's a blooper. <laughs> okay. Secret.